Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Michael the Pod Pina, and on the other line is Sports Illustrated staff writer and Point Break super fan, Rohan Nedkarni. What's up, homie? How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, let me tell you, Point Break, they don't make movies like that anymore, and I know they just did a remake, but I heard it was very bad. It that was. Film was that film was outstanding. That was that was peak nineties. It, it's great both for the memes and for being an actually good movie. So to fill in the listeners real quick before we get into today's show, you tweeted that you had never seen Point Break and watched it for the first time. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Over the weekend, which is just I am Your so facts jealous. Are straight. Your facts okay. are straight. <laughs> okay, beautiful. I'm so jealous when I read that. Uh, I you actually inspired me to put it on at about midnight last night, which <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is probably a mistake. Um, so if I say anything stupid on today's episode, blame Rohan and my lack of sleep for having to watch Point Break for the 55th time in my life. Well, it's on HBO Max for those of you who yep. have not seen the movie or like Michael just want to settle in with an old old favorite <laughs> an old friend yeah. <laughs> yeah it's uh i don't i don't want to get do, too deep into it you know obviously there's a lot of basketball that i don't want to get to mm-hmm. all i'm gonna say is there were several times during the movie when swayze and keanu reeves were on screen and i was just yelling kiss him so um it's a, it's an interesting film it's an interesting yeah film. or you know i wish that there was an outtake where you know they play football on the beach pick up football just on the beach <laughs> yeah. is just not fun it would have been a lot cooler if they were playing one-on-one um yes, basketball absolutely. that makes a lot more sense absolutely so that's my only nitpick yeah. with the whole film um okay awesome so before we get started i just want to remind everyone to keep sending in all of the awesome emails that you guys are known for uh, to openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Rohan, we have a ton to get to on today's show. Um, I want to begin with the conclusion of my favorite playoff series in a very, very long time. Of course, I'm talking about Mavs Clippers, which was just, a, frankly, a modern epic Honestly, um, it had everything that any basketball fan could and should want out of a playoff matchup. So I'll just kick things off right here, Rohan. Um, What are your takeaways after watching the past seven games between these two teams? And why was it the greatest first round series in the history of professional sports? (laughs) Watching the series, I I can't tell if I'm impressed with the Clippers or should be worried about them. I think you could watch Mm. that series and say, wow, the Clippers are a team that should make the NBA Finals. They're so talented. Look at the way they fought through adversity, you know, et cetera. All these things they overcame in that series. I mean, the 2-0 deficit, the 3-2 deficit, taking every huge first-quarter punch from Luka and somehow surviving. It was incredibly impressive in that regard. On the other hand, you look at this Mavs roster, 
And in Game 7, Rick Carlisle is searching everywhere in the rotation. You know, Jalen Brunson's not working. Josh Richardson's not working. Dwight Powell's not working. Trey Burke's not really working, but he played a little bit. Boban's out there. It seems like they figured Boban out, but now he's back playing big fourth quarter minutes. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, how are... How are the Mavs hanging so tough with this Clippers team when the Clippers look so much more talented? The Mavs are just guessing. They're just guessing, trying to find a combination. So it really was a fascinating series. I thought both coaches did an outstanding job. Mm -hmm. Both just trying to figure out what works. Man, it was really good. Kawhi was... I, I thought his 2019 run was actually a tiny bit overrated. It, not to start off with a little bit of a hot take here. He was obviously great. He was obviously great. That game seven, it's funny. They were talking about the game seven he had against Philly on the broadcast. Mm-hmm. And Rachel Nichols tells a story about, oh, Nick Nurse, you know, was just gave him the ball every possession. And the guys were like, let him shoot. He's going to score every time. He shot 16 of 39 in that game. <laughs> he scored 41 points, but it took him 39 shots. It was obviously he hit the biggest one. That's all that matters. But I think he's been on another level in this first round, at least offensively. So it, it was just a remarkable, remarkable series. You're right. It, it, it's one of the best we've seen in quite a few years. The only one that I can really think of, and I didn't honestly, you know, scour my brain or do a ton of mm-hmm. research here, but the uh, Clippers Spurs Spurs mm-hmm. first round series that featured, I mean, that that series had a a buzzer beating victory by uh, Chris Paul in Game Seven. It had, which I think that I'm pretty sure that game was on the same day as Manny Pacquiao. Floyd Mayweather won because I had an opportunity to attend that game. I was living in Los Angeles at the time and wanted to pay $50 and watch one of the worst boxing matches in the history of the sport (laughs) instead. And I still regret that decision. You know, I live a life of no regrets. That was that was basically my only regret so far in um, 30 plus years on this earth. (laughs) Um, When I uh, when I think about this series now between um, that just ended, I mean, it just it was it was so incredible, man. Like, one of the reasons why beyond the X's and O's, which were so fascinating, you had, as you mentioned, Boban, um, you had Chris Porzingis basically getting played not off the floor, but out of the scheme. You had right. uh, the Clippers just couching their starting center and their starting point guard. I have never, I can't think of any time that has ever happened before. And doing it in a way that completely elevated their entire rotation and their roster and accentuated Kawhi. Um, It did a little bit of damage to Luka, who I think coming out of this series is, you know, every time I watch him play, I'm like, what more can he do? And it's just... I don't know what what the higher level is here. I think that he'll get in shape coming out of the series. <laughs> Score and a I few think, more points in the fourth <laughs> quarter. <laughs> sure, there's that, yes. And the free throw shooting was very problematic. But one of the other things is just like the stakes of this series. Like you don't get high stakes in first round matchups typically. But because mm-hmm. of the Clippers, the fact that the Clippers mortgage their entire future for Kawhi and Paul George. And this is it. Like, if you, if you they went down 0-2, then they went down 3-2, couldn't win at home. If you lose that game in seven, it's just, it's beyond a catastrophe for your organization. I don't know where they go from there. Paul George probably is on the trade market. Kawhi is a free agent. Who knows what he's going to do? I, uh, that's the what I was thinking about. are coming out, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I thought that that just added to the intrigue and added to just the style, stylistic excitement um, on the floor. I mean, I think that, you know, we can pitch forward where the Clippers are going, and we will in a second, but real quickly... I think it's fascinating to look at this series and wonder who the best player in it was because, as I just said, Luca. I mean, the shots that he was hitting throughout the entire series really did not make any sense. And I'm not even talking about the step-back threes, which are remarkable and jaw-dropping. And, you know, I would personally fall over on a basketball court if no one else was on the floor with me trying to execute some of his footwork. (laughs) But... 
when he was in the mid-range hitting like those turnaround fadeaways over Kawhi and over Paul George and over Marcus Morris and I don't in my brain even remember him missing a single one of them like these are the hardest shots possible and this dude is just drilling them time after time so I thought I just want to get that out of the way like he was superhuman to me though actually I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you first Ron <laughs> who, who do you think was the best player in the series I think it was Kawhi, only because I think Kawhi had some two-way performances, especially in games six and seven, that were just at a level that Luka could not get to. I mean, Kawhi's efficiency was obviously off the charts. You know, he was hitting his free throws if we're if we're nitpicking here, and we kind of have to because of how great both those guys were. I, I know I was joking a little bit about Luka in the fourth. I do think a, a reason of that, frankly, is I think Kawhi dials it up even more than this the effort is just that one or two percent more juice you give in those big moments and I thought that made a big difference especially in the last couple games when they stopped giving Luca all the switches he wanted and Kawhi's fighting over the screens he's running back to recover etc I think that's a level that he can get to that, that Luca just can't right now and obviously Luca's a very young player I don't think he's gonna I don't think his defensive peak is gonna be near what Kawhi's defensive peak was but, whoa, whoa, whoa! Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I, I just think that Kawhi has a level, and we saw him do it, you know, in the in the second half. Also, have those big moments, uh, and it's funny, you know, Kawhi, someone who over the last few years obviously has had to, you know, really manage his minutes, et cetera, during the regular season. But we've seen it play off, <laughs> playoff, payoff in the playoffs now. Uh, where he can just still get to that machine-like level of efficiency uh, in postseason games, and it's really remarkable. So I think, listen, maybe we're having a different conversation if Marcus Morris doesn't go supernova from three, if Luke Kennard doesn't have 11 points in 10 minutes, uh, the Mavs hit some you know, more free throws, especially Luke over the course of a few games. Uh, maybe I'm not saying Kawhi, but uh, Kawhi, even during the first three games when – you know, the Clippers had lost two of them. He was playing spectacularly. So I think Kawhi uh, has an edge just because of what he was doing on both ends of the floor. Okay, so I I agree with you. I think that Kawhi was the best player in the series, and I think that that will rankle uh, some of our listeners, potentially, especially when you just look at the context of, you know, uh, the Mavs roster versus the Clippers roster. Uh, Luca did not have Paul George as a teammate to take a lot of the offensive pressure off. He did not even have, uh, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. shot the lights out. Um, I thought Darian Finney-Smith played a pretty good two-way basketball. He was great. He was great. Yeah. Yeah, he was okay, but he can't put the ball on the floor and do anything with it, which <laughs> is what the Clippers wanted him to do, and that was a disaster. Um, but... Like, the Mavs don't even have a Reggie Jackson, to be frank. Like, Reggie Jackson was humongous, especially in Game 6 uh, in the first quarter. That game could have gotten real ugly real quick. Um, you mentioned Kennard. Terrence Mann is, like, one of my favorite players, and I jokingly tweeted that the Clippers have a big three at halftime of Game 7 <laughs> just because Terrence Mann's impact is incredible and the energy that he he, he provides for a team that it wants to play slow and is relatively older uh, is very um, important for them. So I understand all of that, and I look at Kawhi, and that man is just unstoppable. Um, he gets to the mid-range when he wants. He rises up over anybody. He was guarding Luka for the, you know the meaty portions of this series when things started to get really tight for the Clippers and get really serious he took on that challenge and he forced a ton of really difficult shots out of Luka and as you said he fought over screens and he chased and he wasn't just you know settling and kind of wearing down physically as I think a lot of other players would in that spot so you got to give credit there but like historically even I mean this dude like he's averaging 40 minutes a night 32 points, true shooting percentage, 72.3. That is just uncanny. It's like not even human. I don't think, like, it's just, it's not even possible. Like, to compare it a little bit um, with Luca, who was terrific, you know, Luca averages 35.7 points in the series, 40.2 minutes. 
his true shooting was uh, 57.2, to just put it a little bit more in context. And if you watch the series, uh, Luca, it, it would feel like Luca didn't miss any shots at all. So I think we're, I'm kind of surprised, honestly, that you went with Kawhi here. Um, but <laughs> that's why I love you and you're a really smart person. Um, real quick, before we get again to the Clippers and moving forward, uh, we have to talk about the Mavs in their future because <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's very early, obviously, in, in Luka's career and his tenure in Dallas. But I also think that everything in the NBA is so much more accelerated than it was 10 years ago. So when I compare Luka to LeBron James in 2008, let's say, when he just had no help whatsoever and was eliminated by the Celtics and then, um, you know, gets to the finals in 2009 after KG gets hurt in 2010. He can't get by the Celtics again, and that just leads to him going down to Miami. Well, he actually um, he made it to the finals in 07. The, well, the, the Dwight Howard yes, magic. How dare you? Yes. How dare you? No, I, I, I understand that <laughs> that actually happened. Um, that was one of the worst seasons, strangest seasons in NBA history. And God, just, yeah, we don't even need to bad. acknowledge yes. it. Yes. Um, and he was just like promptly swept in the finals by the Spurs. Um, but no, I, I, I also think that we should factor in that Luca is not in the Eastern Conference. Um mm-hmm. And that was a big part, honestly, no disrespect to those Pistons teams. That was a big part of LeBron getting all the way to the top um, For that sure. year. Luka is just going up against Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in the first round two years in a row. And it's not it's really hard to have an easy path um, to the finals in the Western Conference, obviously. So, you know, again, like I don't want to just say, oh, you know, it's panic time. But at the same in the same breath, like they got to put some talent around this dude and they are not, I mean, doing so is going to be very difficult. So when you are looking at, you know, in a crystal ball over the next couple of years for them, like what can they even do Rohan? Like how can they beyond Luca, like losing 15 pounds and having <laughs> undergoing like the Kevin love transformation with his body? Like what, what happens here? That's a great question. You know, it's funny because they were one of the teams that were talked about as maybe getting involved in the Giannis chase this summer. Obviously, that's off the table uh, with Giannis signing his extension. And th- this free agent class doesn't look particularly great at the moment. I mean, you're going to need some people to opt out, etc. cetera. Kawhi is really only, I think, the name that would maybe entice people. I mean, would obviously entice people. But I, I would be shocked now if he tested free agency. I, they really got to figure out the Porzingis thing. Uh, I'm assuming you saw that ESPN report today. <laughs> Porzingis already kind of, I don't know if he's saving face or what, what the deal is, but uh, Tim McMahon reporting that Porzingis thought, uh, he, you know, he'd have a little bit more con- control over what was happening on the court. Mm-hmm. I think he's been a little bit surprised how quickly things went in Luca's direction. Uh, apparently him and Luca aren't good friends now, like not every star pairing in the league is best buds um so that happens but i mean that's obviously the big thing they have to figure out because i think they were smart to make the porzingis trade that they made i know that people are joking about it now calling it the hardaway trade etc but porzingis in new york was a really good player even if you didn't think he was going to turn into an mvp candidate or whatever thought the unicorn stuff was a little overblown if they got that version of Porzingis, they would have had a really, really, really good team right now. And I don't know if it's just the injuries, if it is, you know, it's difficult playing off of Luka, etc. Porzingis hasn't been that second star. And I, I don't know what their path to one is right now because the the cap is going to start to dry up. You know, are they going to resign, re-sign Hardaway? Luka's going to be due for an extension in a couple years, etc., it's going to be hard for them to get in the free agent game. Man, a lot hinges on Porzingis for them, I think, unfortunately, because I'm, I was thinking about it, I'm not quite sure what their route to a second star is right now. So you look at the cap sheet, and as you pointed out, Tim Hardaway Jr. is an unrestricted free agent. And based on 
you know, the fact that they have his bird rights and just how good and valuable he was to them this season and particularly in this series, I don't see a scenario where they let him go for nothing. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, Elsewhere, you have, you know, I think the Josh Richardson experiment went real sour there and he has a player option and I don't, I don't know if he's going to pick that up or not, honestly. Uh, it's $11.6 million, which isn't nothing. Um, I mean, it all comes back, right, to to two things in my eyes. One, Luca's extension. He's extension eligible um, uh, this summer. And once he signs that max, like, there goes your cap space. So you have to kind of uh, uh, figure out a way to maximize your flexibility this off season. And they're just, as you said, there are not a lot of options um, available that can really be difference makers. You know, I think that, I think that Kyle Lowry would be fascinating there mm. and a really good fit because look, Luca can do everything himself. That's just not a winning recipe. Like even if they won this series miraculously with him playing out of his mind, like in round two, I, that's just not going to cut it against the Utah Jazz. Like you can't, you can't go four rounds if if you want to win a title with Luca or make a deep playoff round. You just the wear and tear on him and his body and all these different defensive coverages that he has to face just it's not possible. So he needs another ball handler. Who, all due respect to Jalen Brunson, who is probably their second best option in that role, is not a, that's not championship caliber. Mm-hmm. Um, you need more talent there. So I think that getting someone like you know, maybe there's a healthy Victor Oladipo on the horizon. I'm just oh, kind of spitballing, but they need thing, someone who can... No, go ahead. Well, one thing I just want to throw out there, it was a little bit buried in that ESPN report because so much of it was about Porzingis that I think is interesting to keep an eye on moving forward. Everyone's talking about bringing in a second ball handler. Rightfully so. I think we saw that in this series. They need someone else who can create, right? Because I think there are stretches Mm -hmm. of the game where... The wear and tear on Luka is obvious. Even if he's not necessarily getting tired in the fourth quarters, it's a lot, right? You know, in that report, there's a little part about Rick Carlisle maybe getting frustrated with him at times because he would, you know, wave off some of his decisions, et cetera, do his own thing. I I think we're both in agreement that bringing in someone else who can handle, create offense, run pick and rolls, et cetera, is what they need. I think it also needs to be seen that Luke is willing to cede that control. And I think that's going to be a little interesting moving forward as well, because it, it obviously the offense has been so dependent on him that he's had the ball in his hands the whole time, but he also appears to very much want it that way. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on moving forward. I mean, it's a great point. Luca led the uh, regular season in usage. His usage was 40% in this series. Kawhi's was 28 <laughs> to give a little bit of context there. Uh, that's just, a, yeah, that's a really good um, observation by you that I, that I really agree with and could lead to some, you know, a little bit of some disgruntled pieces that are important uh, in that organization going forward. But beyond um, the limited window that they have here with cap flexibility, as you said, KP, that's, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, I think that this contract earlier this season, I called this contract one of the worst in the league. And I still think that is true just because of the years and the, the fact that it is a max contract, but I want to I want to preface this discussion we're about to have about him and say that even though he was pedestrian in this series um like the matchup was terrible for starters um and every team can't go small without losing a bunch of physicality like the Clippers just did. KP will not be guarded by Kawhi Leonard against every team that they play in the playoffs. So people should understand that. KP was also very good during the regular season. And he was very, very good against the Clippers in last year's postseason in the bubble before he got hurt. Um, and, you know, I, I, I know that nobody wants to hear this, and I'm guilty as anyone of seeing um, seeing what's before my eyes and sort of reassessing how I feel about it uh, on the fly. <laughs> but coming off the weirdest regular season in NBA history, like, 
I try. I think we should try to take what happens in these playoffs with a bit of a grain of salt. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. I mean, I'm not saying that Chris Stapps was hurt or anything like that. I am just saying that you're this saying 2021 was, is the real fluke, not the bubble. <laughs> yeah, kinda. Honestly, no, I, honestly, um, I'm with you. But that's a discussion for another time. Let's get into it. Let's get into. You've couched it enough. We all know Chris Stapps yes. was it's not a terrible player, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let's get to it. Okay, I wanna I wanna bring up some fake KP trades because <laughs> this is fun and you know I would say it's a coin flip. First of all, I would say that they are gonna try to move him. I don't. I think that's like a hundred percent certainty. They're gonna field calls. They're gonna make calls. I would I would be shocked. It wouldn't make any sense if they didn't. Um, I would say it's like a fifty fifty split. Just of an actual transaction happening because of that contract, because of how he looked in this series, and just because of, you know, who who wants that out there? Who can give also give the Mavs um, something that's valuable to them as they try to kind of uh, continue to build around Luca with high expectations? You can't waste any seasons of Luca's career. It is, it is literally like all in right now. <laughs> that's how they should view it, in my opinion. So I'm just going to pose it to you. Do you have any fake KP trades that that you love and that you want to see happen? None that I love, to be honest. The thing that <laughs> sweet. <laughs> well, the thing that people you know have to realize about a trade like this is it's like, who are the teams in the league that want to take Porzingis? Because it's going to be almost zero contenders, right? So you need to wipe off like Phoenix, both LA teams. I like you know the Boston the Kemba stuff is out there. I just don't see Boston. I don't see Brad Stevens of all people making a trade like that. Uh, you know, can you, you have can you to elaborate? S- can you elaborate on that? Why why you don't think that? <laughs> I think Brad Stevens is too smart to trade for Chris Stapps for Zingas's contract. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, um, and. Uh, you know, so now you have to look at like who are the small market teams that aren't going to get someone in free agency that can talk themselves into taking on a guy like this who aren't really contenders but would just like to get into the playoffs regularly. So now mm-hmm. you're looking at like Washington, Charlotte, maybe New Orleans, maybe New Orleans. And are like are any of those trades particularly fun? I don't think so. Like one thing I started to play around in my head was like what if you center something around Eric Bledsoe going back? Uh, oh God! To doubt, da- yeah. But that's the thing is, it's like who who realistically is going to talk themselves into that contract right now? I it's got to be like a bad team that's also trying to get off someone. I agree. The one team, and I have I have Charlotte actually on mm-hmm. my list. I, I broached New Orleans. Um, about a month ago as a possibility just because I think that New Orleans New Orleans needs spacers Chris Stapps is a very good shooter and um, they have a ton of draft picks and if I'm moving Chris Stapps even though that's a negative value contract I'm trying to get some picks for it and that's my number one priority pretty much um, assuming that I can't get an impact player also so the one team that's already pretty good that doesn't seem to want to rebuild right now is Portland. And, you know, the really convenient trade right there is kind of the pseudo star for pseudo star swap with CJ McCollum um, for Chris Stapps. And I think that that is not outlandish, but I also think that CJ is a lot better than Chris Stapps, to be honest. And um, I think that there could be a snag in negotiations about who is on the better contract, frankly. Mm-hmm. And that's why deals like that are really difficult to pull off. Um, but if you know Dallas is willing to throw in like a protected 2025 first round pick to get CJ, I think that that just kind of dramatically improves um, their offense and they can just go in all in on offense for the foreseeable future because I I just improving this defense is just it's it's going to be tough even though I think Chris Stapps was a huge negative on that end in this series overall Mm -hmm. Um, but what do you think about that do you think that that makes the like if if that were to happen tomorrow 
what would your outlook be um, on the Blazers, assuming that they kind of kept the rest of their core together and just kind of rolled it back with Chris Stapps, either as their starting four or, or, you know, obviously he would play minutes at the five um, with Dame. I think it would be incredibly good during the regular season. Like Luca and, and Porzingis were an outstanding uh, pick and roll, pick and pop combination during the regular season. I think it would run into similar issues in the playoffs they did this year. I mean, I think you bring up a good point. Not every team can go small like the Clippers can go small with Kawhi, PG, and Batum on the court, who can guard um, some bigs. I just, you know, Porzingis is one of those players who I don't think likes playing center full-time. So, importantly, you still need someone to soak up some minutes at the five or guard bigger guys during the regular season and, to a degree, during the playoffs. Their defense, I think, would still be a disaster. I mean, Nurkic... uh, at least offer some resistance on that end. I think uh, more so than Porzingis right now. Would he be back in that scenario? To me, that's one of those moves that you make that's we're changing things for the sake of changing things. And sometimes you need that. Sometimes you just need the shakeup. I wouldn't, it's not that I think the move would be a disaster and I'm not trying to, um, <laughs> I'm not trying to like, you know, pop the balloon that, that you're, mm-hmm. you're so artfully blowing up here. I uh, I just think that it's one of those moves that w- ultimately wouldn't shift the needle too much for either team. Maybe for Dallas, but even then Dallas, it's like defensively, there's still going to be an issue. Like, And on the wing is where they at least have like a Finney Smith. Richardson theoretically was supposed to be that guy. He ended up not being, but now they have even less defensively on the wing. Yeah, I hear you. I think also that if you just give um, Maxi Kleber all of uh, Chris Stapp's minutes in this series, mm. and then you have CJ McCollum on your team, then you win. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, so I, I do, I hear what you're saying 100%. Um, I just think that that would be really fascinating, and I love CJ and it what happened in Portland. It would be interesting, yeah. It would be, yeah. Um, okay, let's, let's look forward now. Um, a little bit, and you know, at the top, you said that you weren't positive if you felt more optimistic or pessimistic about the Clippers in as they kind of advance, and now they're up against the number one seed, Utah Jazz. You know, after watching what the Clippers did in round one, and also you know what the Utah Jazz, a team that we don't talk a lot about, but will be talking a lot about in the days and weeks ahead, um, how they performed in round one as well against Memphis. Just like, what are you thinking, just kind of to preview this series? What are you going to be watching out for? What are you going to have your eye on? Um, What piques your interest? Uh, First and foremost, it's how much the Clippers will play uh, Zubac right out of the gate. I mean, they found success with the small lineup uh, against the Mavs, and I think it makes a lot of sense for them to play that way forward, especially if Serge Ibaka is going to continue to be out. Is there any update on Ibaka? Do they have any hope of him playing in the playoffs. I haven't seen – I've, like, forgotten he's in the NBA. No one is talking about him. And they were really good with him on the floor during the regular season. His outfits are impeccable. <laughs> the I outfits are say. impeccable, art. yes. True art, yes. <laughs> True art. I That's going to be the most interesting thing to me because I – in my mind, I've always believed the best way to beat Gobert is to bring him out of the paint and do the things – make him do the things that he doesn't want to do – and the Clippers, as we saw in this series, have the personnel to do that, right? We, In a weird way, Gobert is obviously a better pick-and-roll threat, but he's not as much of a mismatch offensively as Boban. And I don't want this to be, be me saying that Boban is a better player than Gobert. He just is obviously such a glaring mismatch if you go small in a way that I think even Gobert is not. Because, you know, if you... Anytime, every single time the Mavs were throwing the ball into the post in Boban or, or trying to get him on a pass, it was a win for the mm-hmm. Clippers, even if they scored on that possession. Because you're taking them out of their offense. You're making them do something they're not comfortable with. As great of a passer as Luka is, no one in the NBA, like, maybe two players can pass into the post anymore, okay? Like, it's not something these guys do. So if you're taking them out of their offense and you're getting Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley to toss the ball into the post... Uh, instead of looking for threes, et cetera, I think that's a win for the Clippers in this series. So that's the first thing I'm looking for is, 
is Ty Lue going to go back to Zubac in the starting lineup right away, or will he keep rolling uh, with the small ball lineup that they've been really successful with? Because I think that makes a lot of sense for them to do that. So the Clippers had a starting lineup that was plus 10.5. That was their net rating in 94 minutes in the first round. Um, Their offensive rating was 122. (laughs) They were very good when they went small. Very, very, very good. Um, I hear your point about, um, you know, the contrast between Gobert and Boban. And obviously the Utah Jazz do not post Rudy Gobert up. That has nothing to do with their offense and how they became one of the best um, teams in the entire NBA. But when I look at Gobert... Uh, like if you go small and you put Marcus Morris on him or you put Batum on him or you just switch every single ball screen on the perimeter and you limit their three-point shooting and you never go in rotation and um, that's how you, you guard them, I think that Gobert will feast on the offensive glass. And I think that Ty Lu is weary of that and that is why I, I expect Zubats to start game one. Mm-hmm. And honestly... You know, Luca is so unique, man. So like, yeah, it's true. Donovan's yeah. Donovan is great. He like I, I he was. This will be honestly, a more conventional series. It will be, and I think that as unbelievable as Donovan was, and how under the radar, honestly, he was in that first round series. I mean, I don't even know how many people watched that series to be frank. Um, <laughs> but Donovan Mitchell was a flamethrower. He is incredible. Shout out to him. But I do think that the Clippers will be a little more receptive to the idea of switching Zubats onto Donovan in some of those pick-and-roll matchups. Um, and switching a bit, switching a, a small, I should say, or whoever is on Donovan to start, be it Paul George, um, Batum, whoever, just switching them onto Rudy and then just scrapping as hard as you can on the boards. Um that's that's what I think is the, the the way to start things, and then you do have in your back pocket this small ball lineup that completely flummoxed Dallas. And you know, like one of the weird things about that series that we didn't mention is that Dallas went zone a ton in that series when they had Boban on the floor, and going zone against the greatest three point shooting team in the history of the NBA is like one of the most gimmicky smoke and mirrors things I also, ever. Like I, I, I thought the Clippers were frankly like even bailing out Dallas on some of those zone possessions. It, not to sound like a well this is really obvious and I obviously understand NBA coaching better than Rick Carlisle and Ty Lue, but they should have had no one inside the three-point line when Dallas was playing zone because Boban was literally camped out in the paint. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's very true. It's very true. Um, so, you know, I think this series could come down to once the Clippers settle in and if, if they do feel that they need to go smaller, want to go smaller, have this huge advantage there, that it'll be on Donovan and it'll be on Mike Conley to put their head down and beat those switches off the bounce and force help and get those driving kicks, hit those open threes, and um, really get downhill. And that's just that's when Utah is at its best. That's its bread and butter, um, assuming that the Clippers are able to take away the pick and roll, which is with Gobert, which is that that is also their bread and butter. <laughs> so, so I think that it's going to be really, really awesome to see. I, I, For sure. I, I didn't ask you in our outline to kind of pick a, 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 a make a prediction because I wanted to spawn it on you um, as we record live here. But uh, what is your prediction for this series, Rohan? I think I am going to go Clippers in six. And I think it's because they showed a level of defensive activity they're willing to put themselves through. That one thing I'll say is <laughs> Andrew Sharp actually makes fun of me for this all the time is my answer to everything is play five small forwards at once. And it was fun <laughs> watching the Clippers come close to doing that. It's not easy to play the way they played in game six and seven for an entire round, for an entire postseason. The level you brought this up in a tweet, and I thought it was so true, especially after game six. The level of attention and mental focus it takes to play the way the Clippers played in game six and seven, it's not easy. It's tiring. And it's something that people take for granted. 
that requires so much precision uh, from everyone on the floor to be scrambling um, for the guy who has to hedge on Luca to give Kawhi enough time to scramble back, etc. That's not easy to play defense that way. There's a reason most teams do not do that, and you rarely see it until the postseason. So it would be difficult to do that for an entire series. But I do think that would help slow down Utah's offense quite a bit. You know, if Mitchell does enter flamethrower mode and you want to put Kawhi on him, I think the Clippers have shown they can avoid switching when they really need to. And then beyond that, if they do play five smalls and they do want to switch everything to to mitigate the pick and roll, I think that they have the personnel to do that. So that's why I'm taking the Clippers. I just think they, I like the versatility, the versatility they can bring. Uh, to this series. So I'll go with Clippers in six because I don't think they're going to win a road game seven. So that's why I have to take them in six. Is it too hot to say I picked the Clippers in five? Ooh, I don't think it's... It's more spicy than hot, but I like it. Okay. Yeah, I... You know, I <laughs> I like your your uh, your Clippers in six pick here. And you're, you're going to one-up me. You're going to one-up me. No, I... You know, I... Uh, you're right. I am. That's exactly what I'm doing. Actually, I'm not you even also try you to also pretend. have an agenda as the person who picked the Clippers to win the finals. So you have to you have to come from a position of strength. Show no weakness. I get it. I get it. Yeah, and also <laughs> look. I think that Kawhi is far and away the best player in this series. I don't know. You know, one of the types of matchups that we haven't even discussed is like who is guarding. Paul George, who is guarding Kawhi Leonard on Mm -hmm. this Utah Jazz team. Royce O'Neal can't be cloned. And Royce O'Neal is an extremely good defensive player um, in ISO situations in particular. And he's strong and he tries his hardest. But, like, that's going to be tough, um, especially on Kawhi. So I'm fascinated to see just how they they deal with that matchup. Here's one prediction maybe to one-up yours. Okay. Kawhi's going to get a dunk on Gobert in this series. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Ooh, I like it. I like yeah. it a lot. Can I can I actually one-up that and just say <laughs> that Nick Batum is going to cram on his fellow countryman's head? Is that is Wow. That... <laughs> Batum almost got Boban. Batum almost got Boban. I know. That's Boban. why. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it, And it was so funny because that, that dunk where he was fouled and he missed it, uh, came after Batum passed up like six straight wide open threes. He was and... passing up so many open corner threes against the zone, and I was getting furious. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it was really funny. I was like about to tweet out that Batum needs to show up, and then I'm so glad that I didn't. <laughs> Can I one up your Batum one? Please try. Patrick Beverly is no. I'm kidding. Oh, no. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is there anything else you want to say about about this series before it gets underway, or can we move on to Nets Bucks? I'll just say one thing really quickly, and that is Paul George is playing really well in these playoffs, and good for him. Mm-hmm. Okay, I agree. He's been incredible. Okay, so Nets Bucks. Uh, in our last episode, me and Chris kind of talked about this a little bit, and and how I, you know I prefaced this series as being the NBA Finals, and I don't I don't think that anymore because the Clippers survived. Frankly, and they wow, were making you're, me a little. You're nervous. really having it all over the place. The Clippers are. Your That's how pick. we do it. <laughs> yeah, take notes. That's how we do it. <laughs> um, but then game one happens. The first, you know, we're 43 seconds into the game or whatever it is. And James Harden comes up lame and exits the contest. And it just, it stinks a lot. Um, so, I mean, let's just start there. What was your immediate reaction when you saw James walk back to the locker room? <laughs> well... It was obviously it's disappointing, and this you know entire postseason has been marred by injuries. I think it's obvious LeBron was not a hundred percent. Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid putting up a freaking crazy performance on a torn knee uh, in Game One. Now Harden, it's obviously a bummer. <laughs> it's hard not to wonder with Harden. He's he's never looked quite in like peak physical condition this season. I guess is the best way to put it. And yeah, this is just a team that's had these injuries all year long. So in a way it was kind of like, oh yeah, like this is what happens with the Nets. Uh, The fact that they're calling it tightness, that is not an injury. I think they're being very purposefully vague about it. The fact that they ruled him out for game two so early, I don't know if that means it's pretty bad or they're like, Maybe they felt like they got away with one in game one because they won with him going out so early. So they're being extra cautious, even though that's obviously a dangerous game to play during the playoffs. So I I honestly, it was a lot of thoughts at once because obviously the overarching thing and it's everyone knows injuries are bad. But uh, yeah, now I'm already in like detective mode trying to figure out what it means that they ruled him out for game two so early. Mm -hmm. So I want to read a tweet that uh, Jeff Stotts, the great Jeff Stotts, uh, at In Street Clothes, if you want to follow him on Twitter, which I highly recommend um, all of our listeners do. Um, He tweeted during that game after Harden went down, um, quote, he was going to be at an increased risk for recurrence for the remainder of the season, especially since he already aggravated the injury site during the initial rehab. Data shows the average time lost increases with each subsequent strain. So Jeff obviously does not have um, access to medical documents in this particular case with Harden. He doesn't know um, how severe it was strained or anything like that. And I personally, I don't know about you, Rohan, I am not a doctor. I did not go to medical school. I know very little about my own body, let alone (laughs) another's. But when I saw him reach down and touch his, his, uh, his hamstring and then just not jog um, for, I think it was two whole possessions. I want to say before stop for, before uh, the game stopped and Steve Nash had to call timeout. He, didn't, he was just kind of walking around ambling. I was like, oh, he re- he re-aggravated the hamstring and he's out for the series is what I thought in my head before any of this because this has been an issue. We, we saw it with Anthony Davis's groin. We've seen it with so many players this year, yeah. the soft tissue injuries that just spring up and guys are out for a very long time because of them. And it is... It's a humongous bummer, honestly. Like I, um, you know, I just want to see everybody healthy, frankly. And mm-hmm. the fact that we, like, we spent an episode talking about injuries, and they've come to define this postseason in a way that, frankly, depresses me. Like this is the time of the year yeah, when you're supposed to get the best of the best. You're supposed to see, um, like, there were 35 unbelievable preview articles on the internet um, previewing this series. 
it's just it's such an incredible matchup, man. And so to not have Harden, I mean, even stinks. not to have Divincenzo, not to sound like, but that ruined the idea of not ruined, but the Bucks can't even go small in the way we want to see them go small now. So, no, it, it's been very frustrating for sure. So I do still think that the Nets can win um, without Harden, mm. uh, but it's going to be a lot harder if Mike Budenholzer stops sabotaging his rotation and <laughs> continues to believe that the Bucks are a deep team. They are not a deep team. Uh, so real quick, I, I want to oh, really? just jump Cause, into Because Bryn Forbes was <clears throat> hitting, you know, yeah, 100% no, I, I, from three against the Heat. So yeah, forgive me yeah. if I, I was confused by him and Chris Middleton's uh, – performances in game one i didn't yeah, see Bryn, Bryn Forbes is for sure still in your nightmares and will be for a very long time so have fun with that danny green was finally making his way out and now he's been fully replaced <laughs> by Bryn Forbes. so I, I you know there's a lot of really interesting x's and o's stuff that happened in game one um some fun developments rotationally with you know when the bucks decided to go small how the bucks guarded um uh, uh, Brooklyn's pick and rolls. You know, I anticipated them to switch a lot more than they actually did. They still mm-hmm. dropped a ton of, you know, they dropped Brook a ton. Um, they dropped Bobby Portis a ton. They were not willing to engage in in the ISO ball uh, that Brooklyn has been that Brooklyn used to just completely decimate the Boston Celtics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to talk about Bud because I I think honestly that that is a really important story coming out of game one. So Giannis plays 35 minutes. Chris Middleton, who could not have pl- possibly had a worse game, played 36 minutes. Uh, Drew Holiday played 37. Then you look at the Nets. Uh, Kyrie Irving, who has had multiple surgeries and is a point guard, uh, played 44 minutes. <laughs> Kevin Durant, who is seven years older, I want to say, than Giannis. Um a lot more tread on the tire, less tread on the tire, whatever that saying is, uh, and is coming off a torn Achilles uh, and several nicks all season long to different parts of his body. He played 40 minutes. So, like, I'm trying to – I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt when they do weird things. So, like, if Bud believes that eventually – as the series goes on, that this will be a very long series, and I, I I agree with him, and he believes that Kyrie will wear down, and he believes that KD will wear down, and his guys will be fresh in the fourth quarter of close games, then that logic, I guess, makes sense, maybe, but what are we even doing here? On it, like <laughs> I say that, and I, I'm still just like, no, that's just not it. Um Play your best players more minutes. This is not. This, I just, this shouldn't be this hard, man. It I just also, shouldn't. I also just refuse to believe, and maybe I'm a complete idiot. I'm certainly not a sports scientist, so you know, idiots the the more likely scenario here. If a player is wearing down by the end of a series, it's not gonna it's not gonna be because he played eighteen more minutes over the course of the first four games. It's gonna be the preceding eight months you know what i mean it's gonna be mm-hmm. the practices or whatever like it's not gonna be because oh he played seven more minutes last game so now he's gonna wear down in the fourth quarter of this game three nights later i just don't think that that's how it works i, I it's deeply frustrating i mean there were so many things like i mean they were interesting i i i guess i could see why bud tried them out i actually thought Brooke Lopez played more and more effectively for stretches of the series than I ever thought he could. Starting Giannis on Kyrie was an interesting move, only because I I don't think Giannis's strength is defending the ball handler in pick and rolls, strangely enough. Um, especially if it's a guy who can shoot, guys who can shoot as well as Kyrie or, or Harden if he does end up playing Ken. So I thought that he did was a good, he did a pretty good he did a yeah. pretty good job though he like, did, he did. One... It, exactly he was you know he had that block on Kyrie yeah and yeah then yeah he yeah. started the fast break so you're right it did work I, I think um, so I I mean yeah he pulled out Giannis for the last five minutes which was kind of infuriating and just kind of classic but <sighs> yeah man all those guys to be pushing forty this is not a series for Bobby Portis and Bryn Forbes it's just not. Like Jeff Teague, like should not be on my screen right now. Uh, Jeff, Teague, Jeff Teague got first quarter minutes 
first quarter <laughs> like, minutes. It's not, it's not just the Bucks front office. Like Adam Silver needs to put his hand on Bud's shoulder. Be like, hey, man, <laughs> you know, we got a lot riding on this season. All right, buddy. I don't know if you know about the financial fallout, but we can't afford like we can't afford this one to go five like your last year's second round series. But, uh, you know, I agree. Uh, it's infuriating. It's really infuriating. And yeah, I think it's crazy. I think we've all expected the Bucks. We've seen them tested out a little bit. I think we're all waiting for them to go small and switch everything. And it's now, are we going to finally see it in game two? I, I, if not now, when, because we've been waiting for it and we, it looked like they were finally ready to do it and they still have yet to commit. So the bucks closed out the first half on a 13 to four run. Almost all of those minutes um, and that run came with Giannis at the five against a small Nets lineup. I like. I I just honestly, if that lineup of um, especially with no Harden there, and Harden is the guy who targets Bryn Forbes better than anyone. I mean, Kyrie mm-hmm. can do it, KD can do it, but Harden's the one who's like, I was born in the darkness. Like I am. <laughs> this is what I do. I hunt guy like smaller yes. defenders. Yes. 30 feet from the rim. That's that's what I do. So he, if he's not even playing and you can't go small with like Bryn Forbes, PJ, Giannis at the five, Middleton and Drew Holiday for extended stretches, then what are we even what are we even talking about? Like I, I it's it, it just like baffles my mind and I try to It's it's I, I deeply frustrating. I just don't get it. In a way, the way they destroyed the Heat in the first round I, I hesitate to say it's a negative. The fact that they were able to do it without having to stray at all from what they were doing in the regular season, the fact that they didn't have to go small at any point, is, I think, rearing its head a tiny bit or reared its head a tiny bit in game one. And I just I hope that Bud, who has been famously stubborn in the past, is willing to adjust this time because they're not going to win this series playing drop Lopez with Brooke with Brooke Lopez. Did I say drop Lopez with Brooke drop coverage with Brooke No, go Lopez. with it. <laughs> They're not going <laughs> to win with drop Lopez and like you know win this series with with Brooke like dunking on people in the paint. I just don't think it's going to happen that way. I'm going to from now on just have when I take notes during games it's just going to be drop lopez i should have been doing that for the past like three years frankly as a shorthand old, i'm an idiot old drop lopez it's not a bad thing for him i mean that's all he does okay he doesn't this even is... play defense he just keeps walking backwards <laughs> <laughs> um okay so this series is 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 very upsetting to me um and i don't want to talk about it anymore so let's quickly close with um hawk sixers which was a very fun game one on Sunday, unless you're a Sixers fan. Um, what adjustments, Rohan, do you think Doc Rivers needs to make, if any, um, after that? You know, I, I think it was like a – it should have been a blowout, honestly, and like it got pretty funky at the end. And, you know, I'll credit the Sixers for making that run. But um, let's just call it – like it was – I think it was a decided – victory for the Hawks. Um, Mm -hmm. So, like, when you look at it and you kind of take a snapshot of everything that you saw unfold um, in Game 1, what what, if you're Doc Rivers, what are you doing heading into Game 2 that's different, if anything? Well, let me, like, first pick at the low-hanging fruit and say the obvious one is you can't really go to that all-bench group uh, that he went to in the first half. And to Doc's credit, he didn't do it again in the second half. Uh, That's the obvious one. I do think, and I think you brought this up, and if you weren't the only one, a few people brought this up. I don't think you go with Danny Green on Trey Young. I think you start Simmons on him, and you trust Simmons to fight over the screens because Simmons plus trapping is a mistake. Um, because now you're both wasting like your best defender and putting everyone else in scramble. I think you got to let Simmons chase Trey Young around and see how that goes for a little bit. You also have to have Doc get in the ref's ears early and say, 
you know, hey, look at what Trey's doing with that left arm. Look at what Trey's doing with that left arm and hope that saves Simmons from picking up a couple fouls because that was an issue. You know, there's that one play where Trey's driving the lane, initiates the contact and kind of fades away and gets the call. And I hated yeah. it. I hated that call. I hated it so much. I want to see a guy like Ben Simmons be able to <laughs> rough him up a little bit. Like, I want to see him play defense. Like, um, Sadistic and- <laughs> take by you, but continue. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I that's where I start. I think you got to go Simmons. Maybe you eventually consider moving Tybal into the starting lineup. He hit a couple threes in game one. I don't know if he's gonna hit, if he hit ten threes in a row. Would that be enough for Atlanta to start uh, taking an extra trip toward him on the three point line? I don't no. know. But another another one that I think makes sense is there's no reason to play Tybal when Young is off the court, and they did that a couple times in game one. I don't think that really makes sense. So. Uh, I think that's where I'd start is no more all bench and, and putting Simmons on Trey and not trapping. Yeah, so Atlanta went on an 11-0 run at the start of the second quarter because the Sixers had zero players uh, in their starting lineup on the floor. I mean, I, I don't want to, if I'm them, if I'm the Sixers, you know, that lineup, um, my starting five is incredible. It was one of the best lineups uh, in the entire NBA this year, and the Sixers... Um, kind of switch things up from how they usually operate. They played their starting five more than any other team played their starting five. Um, or I should, yeah, their starting lineup. And that, that goes against you know the stagger um, strategy that Brett Brown had for so many years where he'd take out Joel Embiid early and then put Joel Embiid in at the start of the second or near the end of the first and vice versa with Ben Simmons. But the way that this team is built is so much different, I think, to be fair to Brett Brown. And having the spacers like Danny Green and Seth Curry um, and Tobias Harris shooting the ball the way he did, like that's plenty of shooting around Joel and Ben, and they've had a ton of success. So I don't, I don't think that you need to worry about that so much. Um, you got to stagger a little bit, though. You got to bring, like I would take Tobias out um, early, maybe put Thibel in, then I'd put Thibel on. Uh, Thibel on Trey, um, and let him bother him a little bit. I, I agree with you that you can't. You gotta. You gotta match Thibel's minutes up 100 percent with Trey um, on the floor. Even even Bogdan um, also, mm-hmm. who is just an absolute flamethrower. I, I I disagree a little bit though. I don't think that you should put Ben on Trey from the jump. I think that it's more of a crunch time matchup and. Uh, uh, one for like when the going gets tough, like that, and that's kind of what they did in game one. Trey was just like getting loose with everything, but I think if you keep Danny on him and uh, you start trapping a little bit more, then uh, it just makes more sense because Bogdan is very lethal, and so putting Simmons on Bogdan and having him have the mentality of I need to erase this player from the game, um. I think that that is the right one for Philly in the long term of the series. We'll kind of see how it plays out, though. Trey Young is incredible, um, and all of it's really difficult because you got to hide Seth Curry somewhere. So even if you were to put, like, I I was just kind of thinking about different possibilities, and one would be, you know, when Solomon Hill is on the floor, assuming that DeAndre Hunter can't go in Game Two. Hopefully, he can. He's one of my favorite players. Mm. But when Solomon Hill is on the floor. Just put, like, maybe you put Simmons on Solomon Hill and you just totally unleash him in a way that disrupts all the pick and rolls that Atlanta wants to run with Trey Young and just have him be this ridiculous untethered free safety. I don't know if that's, you know, a consistent thing that you want to do, but I could see it happening for a position here, a position there to just really switch things up because you got to switch coverages up against Trey. You can't do one thing over and over and over again. He'll destroy you. Um, So... You know, we've kind of tried to decide who the best player is in all these different series. Mm-hmm. And I think here is a really fascinating one um, because Joel Embiid is not 100%. He played mm-hmm. really well, I think, in game one, for sure. Trey Young was obviously um, a little bit better, I think. So when you kind of look at this series, are you willing to say that Trey is the best player or can be the best player? I'm willing to say that Trey can be the most impactful player. I think in a vacuum, you got to go Embiid, but I do think because of Trey having the ball in his hands as much as he does and the way he dictates dictates your defensive coverages, I'm willing to say Trey can be the 
most impactful player. But I don't think he's the best, if that makes sense. He's maybe the most consequential player. Okay, I like that, even though you criticize me for hedging when I have takes all the time. (laughs) So (laughs) I like how you're bailing yourself out here. Um, I... Yeah, I'm not going to say that Trey Young's better than Joel Embiid. That's just not going to happen right now. But I do think that um, to offer up my patented hedge here, like if Joel Embiid isn't 100% and you know he's forced to drop on these pick and rolls and play soft coverage as much as he did and let Trey get to the floater, like Trey's just going to eat you alive. So <clears throat> I think that his his knee probably had something to do with it, I would imagine. He was wincing mm-hmm. at different points during the game. So it's going to be a great series, and that's awesome. And um, we should all be blessed to, to witness all of this talent. Um, okay, so uh, if you have nothing else to say about Ben Simmons or Trey Young or anything, Rohan, I think we've reached the, the end of another episode of the Open Floor Podcast. Um, I want to thank, once again, all of our listeners for sending in um, all the emails you did. We'll get to more of those later in the week. Um, So send us emails at openfloormail at gmail.com, at openfloormail at gmail.com. And And Michael, I just want want to thank you for being the Bodhi to my Utah. Wow. Really bringing it full circle. Okay, great. That's wonderful. (laughs) On that note, uh, everyone stay safe. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.